All right. Ushers, I am sorry for rushing you. I apologize. So I'll talk real slow. <laughs> You'd appreciate that. I get kind of wound up, don't I? <laughs> I don't mean to. I just love Jesus like crazy. Uh, but here's the deal. Um, as I was preparing for 2020 and just praying, God, what do you want North Shore to hear? And I was just praying, and the Spirit spoke to me. He said, he said tell them about a church, a church that's life-giving, a church that changes the world, a church that is filled with joy. I instantly, after he spoke to me, I thought of the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. And last week, Sanjay came in and just, man, he hit it out of the park. I always tease him after every message that Sanjay gives. I say, you know what? I've been in seminary, and your message is I deserve credit for that, right? <laughs> Come on, right? Uh, so it's great. He's amazing. I mean, and I knew that about him for, again, I've known him for 20 years. Uh, the first time that I brought him out, I always go longer than 11 o'clock, but the first time I brought him out, I brought him to my youth group. You should have saw those poor high school kids when he sat down, because you think he brings a lot. Then he didn't know how to filter it back in those days. They're like, their eyes are this big. Um, but I tell you what, he set an amazing foundation for the book of Philippians. So if you have not heard that message, go online and listen to it. Okay, it really sets this up well. Okay, and so we're going to be in the book of Philippians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers will get it to you. We'll be in the first chapter. And so God spoke to me. He said, I want North Shore to be a life-giving church, a church full of joy. And I thought, thought about the book of Philippians because in those four chapters, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians, he mentions joy 19 times. It is just full of references to joy. So, okay, uh, let's talk about Philippians. Let's talk about a church that's full of joy because that's what I want for this church, to be full of joy. So what is church? And something, if you're new to church, we often make reference to the Greek language. And the reason is the New Testament was originally written in Greek out of Greek culture. And so therefore we look at the language to better understand the word and they translate it into English, okay? And so we, 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 we go into that language, you'll hear the Greek says, that's why, okay? So the Greek word for church is ekklesia. And it means a called out assembly. A called out from the world. So as this new, the way they called it, Christians started coming together and believing in Jesus Christ as resurrected Savior, Messiah. They were called out from this world. And they were called into an assembly. To community. And we're going to talk about community because what church is, church is community. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And I pray you'd speak. You'd penetrate deep in our hearts, break any strongholds or barriers that are there. Holy Spirit, as we look at community, I pray that you'd teach us, convict us, call us, draw us, release us by the power of your word today. So God, we open our minds. We open our ears our hearts, and we lay it down at the foot of the cross and ask you 
to speak to us right where we're at. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So let's look at the importance of community. It starts in eternity past. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our own image. Us and our. Those are plural. Who's the us and our that God is speaking of there? It's the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you want to know the community they have, things that we see them doing, we know they're working on redemption. Right? They're working on creation. They had community in eternity past. It's an attribute of God, community is. It has always been and always will be. And so when he creates man in Genesis 2.15, the first human crisis, in a sense, pops up. This is before sin. And Adam's there, finished naming the animals, and God says this. It is not good for man to be alone. And generally speaking, you always have to follow up and say, the women said, right? Uh, <laughs> it's not good for a man to be alone. He says, man, this is before sin, okay? So in my creative order, I created man to be in community. So he created Eve, right, so that they could multiply and create community. Like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit community, so is man that he created. Community has always been part of God's plan. And then we see the nation of Israel come through all the Old Testament. It's all a story about community and interacting together as God tells his story. And then in the New Testament, when God came to earth in the Son, Jesus, what did he do? He stepped into our space, community. And then he called the apostles. He says, I'm going to do this as an example and a model in community. Could God have saved the world without community? Well, yes, right? <laughs> um, he didn't. He chose to because that's who he is. It's who we were called to be. It's the example and the model that we have. Come follow me, he says to the apostles. And he started doing this in community. And then he released them to go in community. Hebrews 10, 25, he calls us to stay in community. He says, do not neglect the meeting together, the community, as the day of the Lord approaches. I mean, when, until Jesus comes back and we go to heaven with him, we need to keep focused and keep striving and going and building community. Because God has hardwired us to be in community, not alone. I learned this lesson. God uses hardwiring of community to draw me to him. Sandy and I, uh, in college, in our mid-20s, accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Neither of us came from Christian homes. We had a baby, um, and we were at Eastern Washington University studying to be teachers. Okay, and a non-traditional student says we were married and had kids, meaning you have no friends because everyone else is 18 or 19 trying to figure out the college scene. They don't want to hang out with some old dude, okay? So you have no friends. And some people that we knew that were also married at Eastern that we knew years ago, um, they invited us to be, hang out with them and invite us to church. And I remember I said these words to my wife. I said, I don't know about this God. I don't believe in God. Um, 
I said, but man, I need some friends. So let's go to church. So God didn't use himself to draw me to church because I was struggling with that concept. What he used is community. Community drew us to church. And someday I'm going to tell you an amazing story about that first Sunday, but that's later. Okay, a teaser. Come back. I'm not sure what I'll tell you, but it's amazing. It's a crazy story. Um, but God used community because we're hardwired for community and drew me to himself. And I got saved. My wife got saved. Some of my relatives got saved. And I'm sitting here in this moment with this breath speaking to you because of community. It's powerful. God uses community, calls us into it. But there's a problem, okay? How many of you have heard of the Seattle Freeze? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Seattle Freeze. Look, there's not very many hands up, okay? Uh, I saw the hand. <laughs> um, but here's the deal. Here's what the Seattle Freeze is, okay? The Seattle Freeze is actually a studied thing. There's an amazing expose in the Seattle Times uh, that came out this summer talking about it. Um, I think it's PEMCO, but one of the big, or Kaiser, one of the big insurance companies ha has a huge study on it, okay? And what the Seattle Freeze says in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, um, that the people there are friendly, but they don't want community. They're adverse to community. They're standoffish. They don't want to be together. People that move here, especially if you come from what they call a warm climate culture, where people are into community, let's say the South, right? They really struggle in Seattle for that reason. Uh, health insurance, uh, study it because uh, it affects health. So we've got to figure out, we've got to insurance all these, insure all these people, and we've got to figure out that this thing, the Seattle freeze, that's a, is a, a studyable thing. It's real. And they said, well, what causes it? I started researching it. When I became the community pastor here, I uh, came from Orcas Island, which is kind of a warm climate, high, high level of community there. Uh, here, not so much. So I studied it. And so well, what causes it? Well, they say it could be, they don't really know, are Scandinavian uh, settlers. Because they are all running from the Vikings and hiding. And I was like, okay, no, but that's, we don't know, but that's okay. Running from Vikings, maybe. So they settle it. And so but therefore, we all run and hide. Okay, I'm still running from the Vikings today, all right? I don't know. Uh, they say it could be because of traffic. We have one freeway for all of us, okay? And, and no one wants to go anywhere, right? It's too hard, okay? Could be that. That's a factor. Uh, obviously, it could be weather, right? It's cloudy and gloomy, and we kind of get, we want to go to sleep at like 4 o'clock. Have you done that lately? It's like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. What time is it? Five? It's like, what? It's like, what are you talking about? And you have to force yourself to stay awake. Is it nine yet? You know, it's crazy. Uh, but it, so we're like bears and we want to go hibernate. So we just go in our houses, shut the door, shut the lights off, and just try to stay awake for a few more hours, okay? Um, they say they don't really know why, but what they know, it's a real thing. It's a real thing that we have to deal with. So God says, I created you for community. The region says, we're going to reject it. I think God has a better word to say, don't you? Absolutely, he does. Um, so as I was studying it, I, I saw something interesting. And how do we break this? And I, and I saw it comes from intentional community. Intentional community. And I learned this lesson 
from our military. There's a lot of people because the Navy base that are and the Coast Guard that are deployed here. And I started watching these people who were breaking the cycle of the Seattle freeze at North Shore. The locals would come in and they'd run in here and run back out and get in their house real quick, right? But the military families would come in and, man, they would not be denied. And I started, I started talking and said, how are you doing this? Because I can tell you a whole bunch of people who say, we have no community, we can't get them, we're trying to get them connected, our connections team, uh, our group's pastor, we're trying to connect them, and they're not finding community. But you, military people, are finding community. And they say this, it's because we will not be denied. We're intentional. We understand what it means to do life alone. Someone's going to get deployed from our house, and we desperately need community. And so guess what? We're going to fight for it. We're going to fight hard for it. And I tell you what, you shake your hand out here, and they say, hey, I'm from the military. You don't know it, but you just met your best friend, right? Because they will not be denied. And so as we look at Philippians today, we're going to look at Paul as he opens this letter up. And he's going to talk about the intentional things that he did, that we can do, that builds community, that brings great joy. And that's why Sanjay opened this, uh, the first two chapters up. And again, just did an amazing job. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1. And we're going to start in verse 8. Okay, So go right in the middle. If you like to write in your Bible, write by verse 8. Put a heart. Put a heart. Because this is really a heartbeat of the whys and what Paul is talking about here. It says this. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So we see this sincere affection of Paul. And you really have to look at this. Paul is, uh, uh, if you're a King James reader and you got your King James open, read what yours says. Uh, it says this, it says, uh, I long for you from, I think it says from my bowels, from deep in my gut. I long for you for everything I am. I yearn, I long for you, he says. And it's interesting for Paul. Because remember when he was Saul from Tarsus? What was he doing with their Christian community? Trying to kill them. Trying to destroy them. He hated them. And now he, he, with everything he is, he just yearns to be with them. And all his letters to the churches in the New Testament, he's talking about how he just loves them. I mean, I really identify with this. As I said, I accepted Jesus Christ in my 20s. I came from an abused home and suffered abuse. And so what that did is it put a shell up in me. And um, I'm hoping you won't believe this, okay? But I was a bully. I was judgmental and I was mean-spirited. I physically hurt people um, that weren't like me. That every person that passed, I would cast judgment on them. You know, and I'm not even sure how I was, but that's who I was. And then I met Jesus, and he did something in my heart amazing and changed everything. Uh, and all of a sudden, the love of people, in fact, it's slightly annoying sometimes. Sometimes I was, God, could you just reach up and turn it down just a little bit? Um, I mean, People will come and just cook my goose, and I have this affection and love for them. I can know what Paul's dealing with, because these letters to these people are people who are messing up, but he loves them anyway. I say, God, can I just be a little mean? Can I just go back to the old nature just a little bit, just, just for a second? <laughs> 
but he changed Paul's heart with a sincere affection. And he says this affection, this affection is that of Jesus Christ. So what is that? What is that affection of Jesus? It's the Greek word agape, which means love. It's the love God has for us. It's the love Jesus showed us. It's the love the Holy Spirit will lead us into. And agape love is an unconditional love. It's unconditional. It's a noun, not a verb. I mean, it is, period. Grace is attached to agape. So when Paul talks about this community, what he's saying is, I am drawn to you out of calling. Not because of your performance. Church at Philippi, North Shore Christian Church, I am drawn to this community not because you perform well, because you do this right, you look this way. No, no. I am called to you because God calls me like Jesus. Yet while there are still sinners, Jesus came. While I was a sinner, broken, blasphemous toward Jesus, he loved me. He loved me. And that's the start of great community when it's a calling and not a critical spirit, judgment, and watching every move. He says, I'm part of this community because of agape love. That's what Paul's saying. That's the affection they have. And it's really cool. What it does as well is we agape love our community. It binds it tight. Listen to Colossians 3.14. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It glues it strong. That's what love does. It could withstand the storms, the changes, the differences, all those things. When love, agape love is present, it could withstand the storms. That's Christian community. That's what Paul talks about, his sincere affection. This letter was written 12 years after he started a church. Paul's in Rome in prison writing back to a church all the way across Europe. They are bound tight. They withstood the test of time and distance. They didn't have Facebook or Instagram to stay up. No, people had to go take letters and back. You know how long that would have taken? A long, long time. But love, agape love, bound this community tight. And that's what Paul says. I yearn for you, not because of your performance or who you are, because of Jesus Christ's love. That's why. That's why. It creates strong, lasting community. So community begins with an unconditional calling to love. Now let's jump up to verse 3. And he's going to talk about shared experiences. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. So what he's saying is, I remember you. I remember all of our experiences, and it brings me joy, great joy in the deepest places of my life. And that's what God spoke to me over you, that this place would be a place of joy, that this would place to be a joy. And we see where joy comes from. Paul says it comes from this remembrance and these shared experiences. You know, just an overview of what Sanjay taught in Acts 16. We look at what they experienced together. 
in the night, Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia. He entered Europe for the first time. The gospel came to Europe for the first time. There wasn't a synagogue. There wasn't 10 believing men who believed in God there. It was a Roman colony. But he found Lydia, who was praying with women, and he connected, and they started a church, first church in Europe. They started meeting. Well, the enemy of God started yelling and screaming, threw a slave girl, a demon-possessed slave girl, were following them around as they were planning this church, yelling and screaming at them for days. Paul says, got frustrated. Uh, he's human. Cast the demon out. The demon leaves. There's a problem with that. Because that demon would help that girl, a slave girl, tell fortunes. And people were making money off of that. So they got all angry that their uh, money resource just had her heart changed for Jesus. And so they brought Paul and Silas into the center of town, put them in stocks, and beat them before the community. And then threw them what called an inner prison, deep in the prison so they couldn't escape. And they were singing songs and praising, and all of a sudden a great earthquake came and broke those doors open in that jail. The guard, terrified that he'd be killed because he didn't do his duty, went to commit suicide, and Paul screamed and says, no, don't. He went into that jail cell, and there they were. They didn't leave. And that jailer received Jesus Christ. His whole household received Jesus and were baptized. And tradition says that they joined that church, that first church. So those are the experiences that Paul had with them. These deep experiences. See, when we experience things together, it's powerful. It takes just a, a, a gathering of people and makes it community. It sets it deep. Because when we have shared experiences with people, we get to know who they are. We understand what their hopes are, what their gifts are, what their weaknesses are. We understand what their fears are. And it takes a group of people, and starts making it community and sets it deep. And I believe this is why God, who is in community, it becomes a vehicle that transports the gospel of Jesus Christ through that knowledge deep into the heart of a person. So shared experiences becomes a vehicle of carrying the gospel deep into someone's heart where transformation, where change works, where faith is decided. So community, shared experiences is essential because God uses it as a vehicle to the deep, deep places in our life. Paul understood this deeply. It's why in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, I brought you the gospel news, but I just didn't bring you the gospel news. I shared my life with you. What he's saying here, I could have come and just told you all about Jesus and the facts and giving the evidence. Paul is a very intelligent man. He said, I didn't come here just to fill your head. God has brought me to come to change your heart. Unfortunately, in the Western church, church, if you come where you go and hear a good sermon, listen to music you like, and you go home, that has never, ever been what the church is supposed to be ever. Paul knew it, you know, and we want to follow Christ 
and Paul's example here at North Shore. And we believe that God wants to do a greater, deeper work, and he does it through community. So our approach is something we call life groups here. And our little tagline for our life groups, you can see it out in the lobby, is doing life together because of this truth we see Paul live out. Uh, because we believe when we have shared experiences in community, it takes the gospel into deep, deep places in your life. And there what can happen is people who love Jesus can learn about you, know about you, and know where God's working in your life. And your deepest spiritual needs can get met. But also this, your deepest of physical needs can get met as well. Uh, yeah, just this last week, I really learned this lesson. Last week, I reported how I got myself in a little trouble with my wife because I, uh, this birthday party thing, remember? And this is going to be a reoccurring theme, I think. I about got myself in trouble again. Um, okay. You know, uh, I was down in California. It was sunny and 80. It's amazing, just so you know. Uh, so I was down there. But just before I left, and this is really just this crazy, cool God thing, uh, but um, we're going to buy another house in the same area we're in, basically, but this amazing deal you can't pass up sprung up on us. But we have to sell our current house, and they needed to have listed in five days. And I was getting on a plane in two days. I know, yeah, I see the eyes shaking, huh? Oh, yep. Uh, and so I had to look at my lovely wife, uh, and through watery eyes, she says, I could do it. I was like, oh, man. It was, listen, it was the hardest sun I've ever enjoyed down there, just so you know. Um, uh, so I love her to death, but she just killed it. She's doing amazing. Uh, pray for her house. I think uh, they might be showing it right now. But the thing about it is um, what happened, and there's some other things that I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you about that happened around you know, just this kind of a crazy tough week. Um, just lots of different family members. And then a guy named Russ. I would never ask this because we had a, a basement that needed some serious work on it. We were just going to put a Band-Aid on it, basically. Uh, because he knew me, because we've been sharing life together. And I'd say this, um, and I affirm he basically forced his way into our house, Right? Yes, he forced his way into our house and absolutely redid my basement while I was gone. Redid my deck. Not because I asked, I never asked out of somebody. I just, it's not in my nature. Uh, he knew what my needs were because I was in community with him. This next thing is really the inspiration of this message. What I'm talking about that is as I was preparing this message a month ago, uh, I got wind of something. And it broke my heart. Um, and so I had that in my mind. And I think God showed me this message because of this story. I'm going to tell you, um, there is a person in this church who no longer attends. They quit North Shore. And they quit it because of this. There is a tragic death in their family. Right? And no one came to their aid or assistance. Uh, oh, that breaks my heart. It crushes me. Um, so we start to research what happened, why? Why did nobody come to them and found this out? That they are not involved in anything. They show up and listen to a sermon and they'd go home. They'd come here, get the, great sermon, right? Love Pastor Ken, great sermon, and then go home. And then life happens. 
and there's no community. And now they're not in any community. So where's God? Do you see how important community is? And my prayer over you and my commitment as your lead pastor that nobody, not a single person, would ever find themselves in that situation here alone. And here's the thing I, I, I actually hate about this job. Is I love people, and I want to do life with people. There's a lot of people I don't do life with that I used to because now my attention's in these other spots. Why do we have a preaching team? Because I need to be with people because I'm a shepherd and a pastor. And there's some amazing teachers that will teach with me. And I don't mind doing this so the Holy Spirit leads me, and we'll be part of this and we'll do it. But I, the greatest sermon that you'll ever get from me, um, I hope, is watch me. Watch my life. That should be the greatest sermon you ever hear from me. Um, and if that sermon goes off, I say this, all, seriously, fire me. Get rid of me. Okay? Because you only want a pastor that Jesus is working in his life. Okay? Um, and so with that, I can't do it alone. I'm learning that more and more day by day. But God has created an army. Every one of you. That person who had that tragic loss and is alone, right? Just the last service, so cool. I shared with you um, last time that someone came up and said, hey, uh, I'm going to die. The doctor just told me I'm gonna, I have less than a year to live. It was really cool. After this message, I was sitting there, and I looked over my shoulder, and the wife of that person, I watched people walk up and start getting her number because her husband's going to die in less than a year. They have no kids, and they're older. Guess what? I watch community happen. I want that for all of you, every one of you. And it comes from these shared experiences, doing life together. Do not show up here just to get a message. That has never been the church of Jesus Christ ever, nor should it be, okay? We need community desperately. The next thing we see in verses 5 through 7 we see that they're on the same mission. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with, grace, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Remember, Paul's in prison at this time writing this letter. And what he speaks of, he says, your partnership. You are my partners in this. Uh, and he goes on in those verses, say, man, you are all in in every aspect of this. There's not a breath of this mission that you're not part of. He's sitting in the palace imprisonment in Rome Right? Because they're afraid of this thing called the way. These followers of Jesus. The news has reached all the way to Caesar because of the partnership of what's remember started with a women's prayer meeting. Right? And it spread all over Europe. You are sitting here today because of this partnership. It's amazing. So he's saying, you are all in. This is amazing. We are on the same mission. That word partnership, the Greek word is koineos. And it means fellowship. But not just 
a getting together, but fellowship with a purpose. Fellowship with a purpose. The word community is two words brought together. Common, unity. Unified under a common focus. Koineus. That's what it is. This deep, spiritual, God-focused, common unity. That is community. The same mission. Well, their example was given right after Jesus' resurrection. The Holy Spirit came in Acts 2 at Pentecost, right? And you see Koineus take place, the great Christian fellowship. And they were committed to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And they gathered, and they met each other's needs. And amazing things took place when Koineus was happening. 3,000 were added the first day. And then daily, numbers were added. It's amazing. When we work together in community, koineas, what God can and will do. You know, it's interesting. I love Ecclesiastes 4.9. I want to quote this to you. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. The power of partnership. You know, I was thinking, uh, I coached for a lot of years. Um, and every winning season, I could have told you in the preseason, in a general sense, how we would do. Because it, it, it doesn't matter what sport it is, even what gathering is, is whoever wins, listen to their story. Because they're going to tell you a story of how they got there based on some sort of community element. Being a high school varsity football coach, you know, one year we finished um, the second highest a school that I coached had ever finished. So we got third in state, made it to the Tacoma Dome. So if there's any Washington State high school football players from the past here, you know the goal always is get to the T-Dome, get to the Tacoma Dome, top four finish. And we got there. It was awesome. Okay. And it was an amazing, you know, still something, a great memory in my life. But how did we get there? It was the January before. Those young boys would get up at 5 in the morning, meet me at 5.30, and they'd lift weights like dogs. They'd be sweating and crying. We would run. We started doing CrossFit. It started to get popular. And that, you know, if you've never done CrossFit, basically you try to you either get in shape or you die. It's kind of the two choices with CrossFit, right? Uh, it's crazy. But we would do that. You know, some of these boys would not go on vacation to do the off-season workouts and be part of this thing. Some of the boys chose not to get their driver's license just to prepare for the season, go to summer camps. Uh, a lot of them said, we're not going to work this summer. We're not going to buy a car. Right? Young boys, everyone wants a car at 16, right? They made a community choice. And, of course, now they get to live the success of it. And that's what Koineus does. When a community comes in under the same mission, we are better together. We are stronger together. At North Shore, our mission is simply doing what Jesus called us to do in Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. He called us this before he and after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, he said, go do this, church. Be about this. So if he says to be about this, guess what? We're going to be about this. The Great Commission, it's called. How are we going to do it? 
like he prays in John 17, 18 for us. And he's praying to the Father there. He says, Father, as you sent me, so I send them. So we're going to do it like Jesus did it. You see, Paul did it the same way as Jesus did it. Start watching for these core attributes of the disciple-making journey. Paul did it the same way. He did it in these three things. I want you to remember them. First is he did it relationally. In community. Family. A deep, deep love for one another. Because what happens in that, in that love and that relational environment, we call it life groups. We talk about getting one-on-one -on -one with each other because you, get, you learn to know one another. And from that, we want to get intentional. So it's relational. We see Jesus do. And then intentional. From that knowledge and what you gain and learn about somebody when you're in community with them, you start taking uh, the power of God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you pour it on those growth points. And God starts doing his good work. So we're intentional about that. We're intentional to listen to what someone's spiritual needs are, but also what their physical needs are. One of the greatest ways you can preach the gospel is be compassionate and pour into people in where their physical needs are. Nothing says God like somebody showing up. And we have this phrase we call love shows up. When I tell my staff, just show up, because that's what Jesus did. Don't worry, worry about it being all fixed and right and got the right plan. Just show up. That's what Jesus did. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be intentional about that. And then lastly, so it's relational, intentional, reproducible. Again, John 17, 18, Jesus says, hey, as you sent me and I did this thing, making disciples, I'm going to send them too. And then Paul goes and does that, and then he says he's going to give it to faithful men. So you see this thing happening, okay? You see this thing happening. It's reproducible. And that's what we do, because God wants to advance the kingdom. Right? That's what he wants to do. So for us, we need shared experiences. We need to do life together, because we are better and stronger together. And it brings a great joy. There will be a day, I believe, if we will lock arms and partner together, that we will be fist pumping, chest pumping, excited about the thousands of people that come to know Jesus Christ because North Shore is in sync with one another. We're a strong community that's on mission together. That's what God wants. There's churches all over this world doing amazing ministries. We have one call, and that's to do it the way God has North Shore to do it and us to do it together, right, and love. So that's what he calls into the same mission. In my final point here, in verse 9, and this is really the content of Paul's prayer. So what's he praying? He's praying hard for them, bringing him great joy, but this is what he's praying. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So what his prayer is this. It's for spiritual maturity. He is praying that they would grow spiritually, that they would be mature spiritually. So what is spiritual maturity? I think you look at Matthew 22, and it's called the Great Commandment. So Jesus is asked, and they're trying to trap him. What's the greatest commandment they ask him? And so what Jesus is going to say, 
Because I'm going to tell you what is the highest thing to aspire for, right? Because that's what they're like. What's the top thing? What should we be about? Ha ha, we got 600 laws. Let's see what he says. Because we'll get him. Whatever he says is going to be wrong because there's so many laws. And Jesus says, okay, you want to know what the, what the goal is, where you're supposed to go, what the ultimate is, what maturity is? I'm going to give it to you. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is spiritual maturity. It is love. And we have a model that walked this earth. Because it says God is love, and God in the person of Jesus Christ walked this earth. And so we have real eyewitnesses that met love. So it's to be like Jesus. And everything that we are to be like Jesus. Because he is love. So how do we grow in this? And that's from knowledge and discernment, right? So learn about Jesus. That's why these messages, they are important. To how did Jesus do it? But in turn, what that will do is it will give you the fruits of righteousness. And righteousness is right, godly living. So track with me in this, okay? If spiritual maturity is loving God and loving people, and what would godly living look like? It would look like loving God and loving people. That's righteousness because that's the ultimate goal. So what is our mark? What's our measurement? What's the high water line for us? It is one word, always, love. Love like Jesus. That's it. But I come to bear sad testimony, because where do you live this out? Why would Paul put this here? He's like, well, that's because as he's speaking about the community they have, spiritual maturity, I'm going to say it this way. Spiritual immaturity is the greatest predator to Christian community I've ever seen. Let me tell you a story, and, and I could tell you a thousand of them, okay? Some from my own times of my immaturity, of breaking community. Uh, this story, not this church. <laughs> so God was doing a great work through the church I was in, and we had pews. And I'll tell you, I love sacred spaces. Love them. Man, for me, man, we'd have stained glass and crosses and lots of wood. I, I love sacred spaces. Okay, so know this as a story. So we have, this is a cool old church, man, 125 years old, and it's just got this crazy cool wood and all this, and these awesome pews. But we didn't have enough room anymore. We had to do something. And we were getting multi-generational, so we had lots of young families coming. And we needed a place for kids. We did a wana there. needed a place for them to do stuff. So we said, okay, well, let's take the pews out. And I see some smiles right now. You know where this is going. And put chairs in. Right? So we did that. And we're going well, to talk about it. So we brought the congregation together. So I'm up there, and we're talking. And some guy comes and had been at church a long time. And, man, that guy, and he knew his Bible right, comes flying up front, and he yelled so loud he didn't need a microphone, starts screaming. He goes, we can't get rid of these pews because they represent the permanency of Christ. You should be laughing right now, okay? <laughs> Are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? And he goes on to say, and he's trying to get a revolt against the terrors, right? He says, these kids need us to give an example of the permanency of Christ. Do not take the pews. Okay, if you're under 25 here, tell me if pews would represent the permanency of Christ to you. I'm guessing no, right? A big no. So this, I mean, I'm all about those cool, sacred, kind of groovy places. I dig it. But, hey, thanks. Um, but my preference will always take a back seat to people. Always. Because guess what? We all have preferences. And spiritual maturity says, I'm going to look at the lens of love through Jesus Christ, and I'm going to view the things around me. And I'm going to make people decisions, not preferences. I kind of like, so I'm 50 right now, okay? So um, that means a lot. Some of you are like, oh, he's just a kid. And so if, if you're a lot older than me, keep calling me a kid. It makes me feel kind of young. Some of you are thinking, wow, you're still alive, right, at 50? Um, but here's what I'm learning about myself at 50, okay? Um, I, I kind of know what I like. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting a little grouchy about it. I know how I like to butter my toast. I know how dark I like everything. I've lived enough life. I know what I like. And I find myself getting a little cranky uh, toward the things I don't like. But here is my prayer over me. That I pray that those preferences will never, ever overtake people and what God is doing in community. Because life and death is at stake. And my preferences pale in comparison to the gospel and someone coming to know Jesus Christ. Okay? So I want to serve it up. Now, preferences are important. And your preferences could be an opportunity to help a community discern how they're going to reach people. Right? So you with me? So preferences aren't bad. It's just when all of a sudden they become more important to people and you spiritualize what your preferences are. I like this. Me, me, me. Um, and I tell you, it is the greatest destroyer of community in the church. And what happens, we lose credibility of this gospel message to our community. The church, because of disharmony and disunity and infighting, has become a joke to the outside world. Right? And it's spiritual immaturity is a problem. We need to grow up in the Lord and mature and see like he sees and enter community in our conversation and say it's going to be about one thing, and that's about Jesus Christ. Because I love this. I love this. How that winds down. He says, to the glory and praise of God. We live in a region that says we don't need community. We have a God that is about community and created community. Whose way wins? we got to fight for us. We have to fight for community. You talk about a beacon of hope because we know they deep inside their needs, uh, in their hearts, every person in this region wants and needs community. And on my watch, North Shore Christian Church will be a beacon of that hope of community. We'll be a people, an army unleashed of community. Say, you are invited here. 
You can come here, and we're going to love you. And if someone dies in your family, you will not be alone. That's what community does. Our region is literally dying for community. And so we have to ask ourselves a hard question. Are we going to play church and work out preferences? Are we going to be the church of Jesus Christ that will transform and change the world? Because that's what Paul's talking about. The world changed because of community. Don't do this alone, Seattleites. Don't do it alone. Let's do it together, all of us. All of us having sincere affection and love for one another, motivated and called, giving grace into the communities that God calls us to. I'm going to trust and believe that you're called here. Come be part of a family. Come be part of a family. Imperfect. Man, you want to see imperfection? Come talk to me. Meet me. Right? Are we going to do church perfect? Absolutely not. But man, we're going to point to Jesus Christ and we're going to surrender to him. And when people walk in this place, they're going to hear about Jesus. Because that's the only place we want to point to. And we're all going to do it together. And we're going to have shared experience. We're going to do life together. Okay? We do life together. Not just sit down and listen to a sermon. Or listen to a music style we like. And then go home. We're going to do life together. And we're going to do it on a mission. We're going to get in that boat. We're going to row it together. Not because our ways the best way. No, it's the way God called us to. So we're going to do it in love and respect and honor because we are better together. We're better together. What it's going to take for us is to grow spiritually. It takes a lot of maturity. The older I get, I need a lot of help. Pray for me, man. The older I get and grouchier I get, I need help, right? I'm getting deaf too. It's just I don't hear half the stuff that's happening. Um, but, man, I want to keep pointing to Jesus till my dying breath, right? And that's what our region needs. I'm going to invite the band to come up at this time. And we're just going to have kind of a song of response. And the thing I want to invite you to consider, Pacific Northwesterner, is to join community. Do not do this alone. I'm going to invite you to invite people into you, into community. It's both ways. It says, yeah, I want community. It says, yes, I'm willing to have allow community to come into my life. Join community. And there's different ways. to. One of the primary ways we do it is what we call our life groups, our small groups, doing life together. Pastor Damien uh, is working with his team and connections, and they're pouring out. And I love what they're doing. They're adopting people. This isn't something you put your name in a database and that's it. And some of you know, uh, they're, they're working hard to try to create a culture of adopting people to say, we just don't want to point you how to get connected and be you know, part of the machine, but we want to do it as family does and adopt you and bring you in to a family. And we want to walk with you the whole way. So Damien and his team, they're working that out. Pastor Greg, our group's pastor, he's right out back at the sanctuary there. You'll see a sign that says life groups. Man, do it. Your tendency, science says, is to not do community. Your God calls you into it. Let him win. Let him win. Carve out time. Join community. And from there, man, you might be in community. Join the mission. 
We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ that makes disciples. We want to grow the kingdom of God. Come, be relational, be intentional, and follow a reproducible model. You can send people out so that they can do the same. Let's do it together, North Shore, together in love and honor and dignity, together. And it takes us this. I'm going to call the prayer team up right now. This is me too, man. I need to grow up. I just need to grow up. Right? I need to spiritually grow. I need to join Jesus. It needs to be a Jesus thing. I need to lay it down, all my opinions, all my preferences, and I just need to give them to God, let him do what he's doing, and then just offer those to the Lord, see what he does, right? Because he's going to take it together, and he's going to make North Shore his church, his family, that North Shore is supposed to be. But it takes each one of us to grow in maturity, in love. And I don't know, you know, thinking of my own life as even talking about this is you know what the hurdle of that is for me what is it for you what's keeping you from growing up give it to the lord you know there's teams up here to pray with you pray yourself there's people in the back man do do business with jesus let's just don't play church let's be the church let's just sit for a moment and say that we're really talking to god and he's talking to us right now that's a real thing you might be here and say, I don't even know about this Christian thing. Matthew 11 says, and this is Jesus speaking, come, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. So your first step of joining community might be just to join Jesus. And I pray over each one of you. And you could have been in church for decades, but you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus to say, Jesus, you're my Savior. I'm going to trust you. No to this world. No more. It's the work you did on the cross to free me from my sin so I could be with the Heavenly Father now and forever. You might need to make that decision. And I beg you, make it. Don't waste another breath on this earth without Jesus in the center of your life. And you guys will start growing. You and Jesus, it'll be this beautiful, beautiful journey because he loves you so much. He went to the cross for you and died. Shed his blood so your sins would be forgiven. He took it on. And then he went to the grave and three days later he rose again to defeat death. And the victory is yours in Jesus Christ to be with him forever. So you come up. would love to pray with you. I love you, North Shore. Let's do this thing together. Family, community.